Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Gilda Evans, bringing you the Autism Resource Podcast. This podcast and the ARP website are your one-stop knowledge and resource base for autism and much more. I'm pleased to have Dr. Nora Baladarian as my guest today. Dr. Baladarian is a licensed psychologist and marriage and family therapist and an author with a private practice in Los Angeles, California. She specializes in treating trauma, anxiety, depression, and other difficulties. She is also a certified sex educator and is fluent in Spanish. She began her work with individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities as one of the first 10 employees when Harbor Regional Center opened in 1973, moving in 1975 to North Los Angeles County Regional Center. She has also worked in a private educational school setting. Now she focuses her work on providing psychological treatment for individuals with disabilities and their families, focusing on depression, anxiety, interpersonal relationships, and conducting sexuality information classes. She also deals with trauma experienced by people with disabilities. She is not only providing therapy for the survivors, but she advises on how to reduce the risk of abuse in the first place. Welcome, Nora, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me today to discuss your work. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. So to begin with, tell me how prevalent is abuse in the neurodiverse and disabled populations? It's very sad to say it is very pervasive. Um, People with intellectual and developmental disabilities or intellect, uh, the whole cadre of people with those types of disabilities are said to be four to ten times more likely to be victims of abuse than the, uh, the generic population. Wow, that's a lot. It's a lot, and it is pretty static over the decades. Obviously, I've been doing this for decades, and the um, statistics are not getting any better in terms of um, the vulnerability of people to um, to abuse. The Bureau of Justice Statistics is a governmental agency that every three years issues a new, well, two or three years, issues a comprehensive study of who's abused and who's not abused and in what order. So um, the most recent came out about uh, almost a year ago, uh, measuring abuse from 2012, well, I collated until 2019. And over time, there were three reports, uh, 2012, 2017, 2019. And in each of these, comparing victims with disabilities and without disabilities, over time in each study, victims with disabilities were more abused. And over time, people without disabilities were less and less frequently abused, abuse and crime victims. Well, you know, you talk about something called risk reduction. What is that and how does it work? That comes from um, many agencies promoting what they call prevention programs. But with the statistics that I just told you, we're not anywhere near to to that. Um, And there's programs eliminating abuse and abuse no more. And the end of abuse is the name of another program. And I compare that to 
the statistics that we have and my own personal experience with um, working with regional centers and so many referrals for treatment of people who've been um, victimized in one way or another. So I don't like to label things with impossible to reach goals. So prevention is sounds lovely, but I call it risk reduction. And my work I, I call risk reduction because I'm not guaranteeing anybody that they're not going to be hurt if they do the risk reduction practices that I teach. So we're reducing the risk of abuse happening, but we're also reducing the risk of uh, serious psychological trauma. And so I am very excited about the risk reduction program because number one, people who have been abused, even though they have been trained in the program, it's still mostly a very vulnerable person with a stronger person. So it's obvious who's going to win. What can they do, however, before an abuse occurs in preparation should it happen? I hate that. We have to do that. But I think it's really important not to leave people thinking, oh, the world is wonderful and all is great and not have any preparation or understanding that abuse can happen. So the risk reduction program is mostly used with parents and some professionals um, to help them prepare their child, but also prepare themselves in the event that abuse happens to their child. This is information not necessarily, not to my knowledge, let me say, provided by the regional centers uh, for parents to be prepared for this terrible piece of news. But the good news is what do you, what can you do to reduce not only the risk of abuse occurring in the first place, but the impact of that abuse. So the program has been um, successful where it has been made available and people have used the program. So I'm very excited about that. I'm not excited about the, lev the low level of interest in um, having that information. Well, then can you give me a little more information? Can you tell me a little more about the type of treatment that you use with these trauma victims? And can you treat those who are nonverbal or whose disability is profound? Okay, well, treatment is different from risk reduction. So that's fine. Yes, um, in terms of trauma therapy for people who are verbal or whether they're verbal or not verbal is the same. And I use a method... Um, that is not widely recognized, I don't know why, but um, is very effective in relieving the trauma, the feelings of trauma, at disempowerment, terror, rage, um, confusion, etc. I use a method called thought field therapy, which is unique in that it uses uh, the stimulation of acupressure points while focusing on on the trauma, and that is able to then help the person's physical and um, electric electrical um, response to the trauma, so that when they think of it, it's not bothering them anymore. They don't collapse. They don't have nightmares anymore. They don't have avoidance of where it happened or. Um, other other things that are usual post-trauma symptoms, but they're able to feel good 
even though this happened, which for me is the whole purpose of therapy in the first place. But using thought field therapy is, I would say, nature's, uh, you know, short route to feeling better. Because during the treatment moment, they say at the beginning of a treatment, or they say or they indicate, some people who are not verbal, they might indicate how bad does it feel when you think about this, and their arms are outstretched to the max. And at the end of treatment, how bad does it feel now when you think about it? They might put their hands together or some raise their hands and like wave and indicate that they don't feel bad now when they focus on what happened to them. Now, tell me, what got you started addressing sexual abuse in this population? Well, it wasn't a route that um, one would hope for. I had worked for regional centers, as you mentioned, for several years, nothing about sexuality or sexual abuse was ever mentioned during those years there. When I worked for the Dubnoff Center, a special education school, private school, um, we did treat kids for trauma. We had a, we built a special program for that. Um, but what got me interested was uh, these people were suffering and there was very little out there and very little um discussion in 1994 dick sobsey wrote a wonderful um tome i'm going to say not only on the incidence and prevalence of abuse but who are the persons responsible for the abuse and what is doing what are we doing about it which is like almost nothing so that's kind of the bible on on abuse uh james garbarino had written earlier uh, around that time and we're talking the early 90s I would say from the early 90s to now, there is a vast um, desert in terms of recognition of the problem of abuse, addressing what can one do to uh, reduce the risk, and and there's a real um, deficit in terms of number of therapists nationally who are addressing this issue. Can you tell me how your sex education classes are conducted? Perhaps briefly describe what a typical class might be. Well, that's a really fun question. And that is that I have a, what I would call kind of a standardized program that I developed of 12 sessions that talk about the body, the physical body and how it works and reproduction, the system and other systems, but also the sexual system which is something that most people almost never address, um, which is simply there for pleasure. Isn't that not lovely? And um, people are pretty surprised about it. The the class members really like that. The parents, not so much. (laughs) Um, So I do an anatomy thing, and I remember one kid in my class – I was talking about, okay, here's here's the frontal view of of a boy or young man – and, um, you know, in the belly button and all that. And, and he said, um, look at me. And he raised his shirt and he's, he didn't have a belly button. He had a line straighter cross because he had been born with an open abdomen. And he says, I don't have a little belly button like you. I have a line. So proud. And I thought, what great parenting he had. So those kinds of things. And then one class that I did for young men, and this was in Pasadena, I had my usual program, which I said I showed to them that in those days it was a blackboard. And um, 
Uh, and it was what one would expect out of a sex ed program. This, this is the anatomy. This is how it works. This is how sexuality is. This is how it works, relationships, et cetera. And they said, well, we have our own questions. <laughs> oh, okay. And it was a completely different program. What's the difference between a call girl, a prostitute, and a whore? I don't know. How can I get a surrogate? I'd like to know about a surrogate. How is it that people can change from being a female to a male or from being a male to a female? Mm. What is the surgery? We want to know about the surgery and how that works and why they would feel that they needed to have their body adjusted to their mind. Now, they didn't use words exactly like that. So I had uh, two friends. One is a therapist who um, is named Jude. He used to be Judy, and he is a person also with a disability. And um, And I invited him to the class. And then I have an, uh, another friend named Carol, who used to be Carl. Her dad wanted her to be a rabbi. That didn't work out exactly. And um, they came. They really enjoyed working with uh, the class and, and answered all of their questions about the social, medical and um, physiological changes. So I like to meet the needs of the clients. I love what I'm hearing. It sounds like your class is very inclusive and open and welcoming and just um, appreciating everyone for who they are and recognizing that everyone's an individual and has their own thing and everybody's different. And I just think that's, I just think that's terrific. So, oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so then I understand that a lot of your treatment services are online. Um, that means then that you could actually treat someone who lives anywhere. And um, are there other services as well that you provide online? Uh, I Well, in addition to providing that, um, I... I have a website and um, I used to have a website, but I had to close it down. It was called disability and abuse. Um, and now I've changed it over and now it's called disability without abuse. And it's a more robust um, program anyway. And it's co-led by my uh, friend and colleague, Mark Dubin, who is an attorney and one of the very first attorneys to work at the Department of Justice when the ADA had just been passed. So for me, he's one of the nation's leaders on experience of 30 years working at DOJ enforcing the ADA. And he's very happy to um, work with me and have a website and and sponsor talks and meetings so that people can get more information about um, the ADA. But also with me, of course, we're, we're promoting um, in, increasing um, safety and providing effective therapy to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. So if people have questions, if they want to know more, is that the best way for them to reach you? Are there other ways that they could reach out to you? And would you spell out the name of your website to make sure that people are going to the right place if they want to? Sure. Um, the website is Disability Without Abuse. Do you want me to spell all that out? Oh, <laughs> without Disability abuse. Without abuse. Oh, one word. All together, right? Yeah. 
Dot com. Dot com. Okay. All right. And is there any other way they can reach you or is that the best way? Um, well, that's to get onto the website and to see what's going on there. Um, to get a hold of me, you can just um, email me at my last name, valadarian at gmail.com. Um, valadarian is B like bingo, A-L-A-D like David, E-R-I-A-N like nifty.com. All right. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Nora, so much for your time and for sharing your expertise with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it very much. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular platforms. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always access us and other great resources on our website, autismresourcepodcast.com. I want to thank our listeners for spending a part of their day with us. This is the Autism Resource Podcast, and I'm Gilda Evans, reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.